It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. They say that politics is downstream from culture. Andrew Breitbart said that, and Chuck Dixon knows this all too well. Dixon knew things were taking a turn in his world when the notable comic book writer and author of novels got the news that DC Comics was changing Superman's tagline. I can hear the announcer on the old Superman radio shows and in the old TV show right now. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman, strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Superman told Lois Lane the same in the old movie starring Christopher Reeve. Why are you here? There must be a reason for you to be here. Yes, Hmm? I'm here to fight for truth and justice in the American way. (laughs) You're going to end up fighting every elected official in this country. Sure you don't really mean that, Lois. The man who wrote for both big houses of comic books, Marvel and DC and plenty of others, and was the creator of the Batman nemesis Bane. New comic books were going woke. And now he tells me comic books are going broke. But we didn't just talk about wokeness in this interview I had with Chuck a couple of weeks back, so I could share it with you now. I asked him about his world as a comic book writer. Producer Kenny, a big comic book fan, got us together. And even when Chuck Dixon was informed I knew almost nothing about this world, his world, he still talked to me. That is generosity. Enjoy my conversation with comic book writer, Book author, wonderful raconteur, Chuck Dixon. This is what Wikipedia says about you, Chuck Dixon. Uh, Just very quickly, you are an American comic book writer best known for your work on Marvel Comics character The Punisher and DC Comics characters Batman, Nightwing and Robin in the 1990s and 2000s and you've gone between DC Comics and Marvel several times at least at least a couple of them and now you are a man who is speaking out a little bit and I'd like to find out a little bit a little bit about what you're doing these days, but you just mentioned before we went on that something's going on with Facebook. What's happening? Well, apparently we, we all Facebook users got an email saying we had to sign up for some new security program, which, uh, I got myself, that. yeah, yeah. Myself and apparently millions of others just thought was spam or ignored it or didn't get it at all. And now, uh, now that we missed the deadline, we're locked out and we have to go through this procedure. And even though you, press all the right buttons, nothing happens. It says that there's some sort of malfunction in their system and to try again later. Log out and then try it again. 
Did you yeah. log out? Because that's what I oh, did, yeah. and I got back into it, and it was just like, what just happened here? Yeah, I have I did no it about, idea what's going on. I did it about four times and gave up. I figured there's millions of people crushing their bandwidth, so it ain't going to happen for a few days. Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> well, you know, you have um, spoken out a little bit politically, and not even politically, per se, as much as you've just spoken out by saying that wokeness is potentially ruining the comics business. But I want to get back to the sort of nuts and bolts of what it is that you do and what you've done, because I know absolutely nothing about comics, and which, of course, will be very apparent and uh, if, if it's not already. But, but I will say this. You have inspired your pe- people in your business, and probably you have inspired a kid I've known for years to read. He... Yeah. Learn to read, reading comics. And I used to give his mom a bad time. I'm like, what is he reading that for? And he goes, she goes he's, hey, listen, he's reading. That's good. Right, right. Well, well, now it had such an impact on him, I think anyway, that he's now in the film industry. Wow. And I think looking at storyboards, which I think comics kind of are, uh, maybe yeah. allowed yeah. him to see the potential for another uh you know, just another thing to do, uh, what he could do, how he could fit in. I like these. Look at me now. So, Chuck Dixon, thank you so much for coming on the Adult in the Room podcast with moi, Victoria Taft. Sure thing. I mean, honestly, you're sort of slumming it because you're like a big shot and I'm not. But Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm comic book famous, which is several steps down from being like jazz famous. <laughs> You know, it's kind of interesting. I've been reading a little bit about what it is that, you know, is going on in the comic book world. And recently you said that DC and Marvel Comics are just sort of in a death spiral. And what did you mean by that? Well, um, they seem intent. Well, they have chased, chased away a lot of their audience, a majority of their audience, by simply delving into woke politics in addition to producing substandard work. Um, and it, they've not only chased away, you know, readers, they've chased away a lot of talent or, or purposely blacklisted them. Uh, so, you know, readers and creators are kind of locked out of the medium they love. And uh, the consequences of that are the sales continue to crash. I mean, they're cratering. There's, wow. there's no earnings in comics. There's no profit. In comics anymore, there hasn't been for a long time, and they make no effort to uh, bring the readers back. Uh, it, with with each new change they make, they they grow more, they move more and more to the left uh, in identity politics and gender politics. I mean, anything you can imagine uh, that just flies in the face of what most readers want, which is escapist fiction without any politics. Politics always ruins it, doesn't it? It does. It does. And, you know, it's nice to, for example, comedians. Yes, funny jokes, but if they're directed at both sides and they're funny, they have to be funny. That's number one. Right. And they've ruined comedy in yeah. so many ways doing that. And so it is with comics. I mean, let's let's go a little bit about back in time in your career, if you don't mind. What has been... 
the proudest achievement of yours in all that time before we go back into how they're ruining it? <laughs> well, uh, my I guess my proudest achievement is my stats. Uh, I've written more comics than anybody else ever. I, and I'm going to specify American comics. Wow. I've written, I've written you know, over 40,000 pages of comics. I've written literally thousands of comic books. And, um, you know, and, and it, none of it was work because I love it. Uh, it. It surprised me when someone ran the numbers and said, you know, you're the, you're the top guy now as far as uh, page count. Uh, so that and getting to work on Batman, which was a Huge. dream when I was a kid, but I never thought it would ever happen. And I was on Batman for 11 years. Uh, and, you know, uh, just generally getting the work in the area that I love, uh, instead of, uh, driving an ice cream truck or, or sweeping floors, which I did before this. <laughs> uh-huh. You're a high school graduate. You didn't go to college. You're not a literature major. You're not any of that stuff. You just immediately went into sweeping floors and then becoming a writer in comics. Yeah. Right? Just the, yeah, just a burning desire to tell a story and practicing my craft and just, working up the courage to take run after run after run at the comic companies until I finally got a break. How did you get the break? I got two simultaneous breaks. A, um, a company in California called Eclipse Comics hired me to do a monthly called Airboy based on a character from the 1940s. And almost within like the same week, I got um, hired by uh, an editor at Marvel, and that wow. eventually l- led to writing um, Savage Sword of Conan for five years. Could you write for both of them at the same time, or did you have to be exclusive to one? Back in the day, you could write for whoever, and I, and I, I was a nobody at the time, so uh, I, you know, I was writing for anybody that offered me a page rate. Uh, I, I, I had two exclusives in my career and, and regretted them both because I, I like being freelance. Yeah. Can you make more money doing freelance or being in the office and in somebody's house, if you will? Does that pay more? I mean, not that necessarily monetary return is what you were looking for, but it doesn't hurt. Well, I am a professional writer, so I like to get paid, uh, even <laughs> though I love it. I'm going to think of this stuff, whether they pay me or not, but it's nice to get paid. But yeah, um, I can always make more money non-exclusive uh, mm. because they never give me enough work. Ah, I see. Um, so are they in some sense category killers? What, what do you mean by that? Well, for example, I do, I do audiobooks, and I, it's so hard to uh, do, to work with Amazon ACX, which is Audible. Uh, for I mean, you can't make any money doing it. I actually lost a book account uh, to do another audiobook because of the fact that uh, the authors looked at it and they went, hey, heck, there's no way to make any money doing this. And I go, I've been trying to tell you that. <laughs> so I got to go find somebody else. But but so I mean, the thing is, is that, I mean, it's just kind of funny how they've, you know, the big boys come into town and all of a sudden it's just commoditized and it's hard to make a living. Yeah, I, 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 I always say these days I'm working twice as hard for half the money. Uh, because you, you know, plus, I mean, you know, this, you, you're not only doing the work, but you're spending half your time marketing yourself. Oh, you're God. Con- yes. Yeah. You're constantly interviewing for the next job. And, uh, you know, I, I hate it. I hate, you know, I hate using social media to promote myself because primarily it's a lie. Social media is a lie. You, you don't reach the people they say, even if you pay to reach them, you don't reach them. And then Amazon sits, well, they don't sit, they squat upon us all, keeping our sales low. 
uh, you know, because they have preferred customers. Yes, yes. You've once said that the Internet is a barren place. Is this what you're referring to? <laughs> yes, it is, because you're out there alone. I mean, back before, you know, what the four or five major tech companies came along to monopolize all communication on the Internet, back when there was a, an open playing field, I did great. I mean, I, you know, I, I had a, a, you know, a happening message board and I could promote stuff. And when I promoted stuff on my message board, I actually saw the needle move. Wow. So um, it's it's but it's all changed now. We're all basically on the chain gang. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, they, they're gatekeepers, but they yeah. keep the gate real tight. Yeah. Yeah. And only their friends are allowed in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seems so. It seems yeah. so. Do you welcome the idea of, uh, you know, just going to different social media that are not Twitter and Facebook, YouTube? I try it, but it, even there, it's a struggle. I mean, you know, like they, I, I tried Rumble because uh, yeah. I do, I do videos. Yeah. So I tried Rumble and I, and I only do the videos to do promotion. I hate doing them, <laughs> frankly. I but, think they're really interesting. But, you know, but I hear, well, Dan Bongino has a two million followers on Rumble. Yeah, well, of course, he's got five million listeners on the radio. Sure, sure. So that wasn't hard to do. You know, I'm over on Rumble looking at two views, three views. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you just have to start. Plus, I mean, I would say that there's a more conservative base of the audience over there, at least more free, free, uh, open minded, free thinkers over there that might... Uh, give you a better chance. But when you're up against, you know, trying to navigate marketing yourself in all of these different respects, and the comic book business is killing you. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. DC and Marvel, they're the industry leaders, They, they, they are the tide that lifts all boats. And when they fail, we all fail. That's why so many of us have turned to independent publishing and crowdfunding and, and, and have been successful at it. I've I've done well uh, through crowdfunding uh, and, you know, uh, I know guys their entire career is doing comics they publish and print on their own through Kickstarter and Indiegogo. So and, and the audience is there. There are there's an audience for comics. They just are not served by DC and Marvel anymore. Are you afraid that you're going to turn into a Canadian trucker and they'll try to <laughs> get, get you taken off those other formats as well to to raise money to? Do a comic book? Well, they, you know, they've tried in the past and failed. Um, and I know some bigger players than me who have challenged them, and they will back down um, because the money's so good. And 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 I think a, some left leaning comic creators tried to go crowdfunding and failed because basically they were offering the same crap that the majors were offering. Uh, they, they weren't off, offering a, a counter programming, which, which is what we're offering. It's like, we're giving you the comics you want. Yeah. These guys are giving you the comics you walked away from. And, of course, those efforts failed. Whereas, uh, you know, more conservative creators are doing very, very well. And and it's not because they put politics in the work. We, we, God forbid we put politics in the work. It's just because we're not bowing to woke culture. You know, we're not bowing to this, this weird idea of diversity, inclusion, and the rest of it that have just sapped all the fun out of the comic book business. All the fun out of it. Yeah. Huh. So. uh, I mean, I I know a creator who quit his job at DC when when they removed the American way from Superman's motto. Oh, yeah. 
And he said, I can't, I can't work for you anymore. You know, and there's more and more creators like that who are just, and, and of course, readers who are like, I'm not going to read this anymore. This offends me. How badly did the business crater when woke culture started being inculcated into comics in what, 2014 or so? Yeah, but it was creeping in before then, and the lack of quality was beginning to invade. This is the major publishers. DC and Marvel were no longer interested in entertaining readers. They were more interested in, I don't know, making deals in Hollywood yes. and things like that. And um, the editors I worked with when I got in the business, these were all lifers, comic book lifers, guys that loved comics like, like I did and wanted to produce quality work. They were replaced by a generation of what I call indifferent editors who really didn't care about the business. They only cared about their own careers. And now they've been replaced by total careerists who only get into comics because it'll look cool on their resume when they apply for a job at MTV or Vanity Fair. Huh. So they, how bad has the business pummeled or uh, uh, dropped? Oh, sales are literally a fraction of what they once were. I mean, most books at DC and Marvel are published at a circulation level that would have been well below cancellation when I was working for the companies. Wow. There's no money in it. I mean, they make money back from, you know, underoos and T-shirts and action figures. But um, that's, you know, I mean, you, but you need that engine. You need that money-making, profitable, popular, creative engine of a comic book company to keep those ideas flowing. Yeah, that's what I would think. I would I mean, absolutely recent, think that. Re recently, Warner's kicked DC out of their own offices and made them all go work at home. <laughs> really? And, and someone said to me, well, that's the trend now, working at home. I said, not in Hollywood, where where you park your car is as important as how much money you make. <laughs> Why do you think <laughs> oh. they did that? Because uh, I think they're getting ready to shed them. Uh, I, I really think they're getting ready. Both Disney and Warner's are getting ready to shut down DC and Marvel, respectively, and just license the characters out to other publishers. I'm hearing thumping on your end. Are you thumping on your desk? Uh, yeah, I was there. I got a little passionate. Now cut that out, Chuck Dixon. Okay, sorry. Sorry, I won't <laughs> rattle any papers either. Oh, no, you can rattle papers. It was just oh, the okay. thumping. I don't know. Okay. I'm just attuned to that or something. You said that you, you proudly claim to have been banned in China. Is, yes. what, what does that mean? Why did you say that? And what kind of influence does China have in the comics business? Well, they haven't. Well, they had. They had a lot of influence through the the Hollywood connection because the comic book companies. You know, it, well, look, you know, every other hit movie has a superhero in it. So the comic book companies are all about Hollywood now, and they needed that Chinese market to make it work. Uh, that's not as true now as it was because the Chinese are basically putting their own content in the theaters and they're restricting access to their theaters from Western uh, content. So I think that love affair is over. It was a one-sided love affair anyway. Mm -hmm. But 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 the influence, the influence is there and, and it remains. So we have American comic books. We have the Japanese art, uh, which graphic novels and all sorts of things there. And then we have the Chinese doing this too? Well, I mean, the Chinese produce their own comics, but I, I've never seen Chinese comics here. Um, but you mentioned Japanese manga. Japanese manga, you know, it sells huge here. I yeah. mean, there's, there's one manga that outsells the entire combined output of DC and Marvel every month. 
So uh, it's not that comics are dead or irrelevant in American culture. It's just that the comic readers here don't like the domestic output. What about manga makes them sellable? Because there's a manga for everybody. Uh, <sighs> if you want to read, if you if you like golf, there's a manga about golf. You know, uh, one of my favorite mangas is about fishing. Wow. <laughs> so, so, so the, but, but American comics are specialized towards superheroes and almost nothing else. And so they, they reach a niche portion of an already niche market. And they're just shooting themselves in the head. They refuse to look at other genres. Plus, the quality level of manga is high. The, the quality is good. The entertainment value is good. The 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 um, the dollar value is good. I mean, you buy a big chunky, you know, manga volume, you, you're going to be reading for a while, and it costs maybe three times as much as a tiny little twenty page American pamphlet of mm. a comic book, which which you're going to be done reading in five minutes. Um, and they used to be thicker. Yeah, they used to be thicker. They used to be less expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were a lot thicker, but they were a lot less expensive. Uh, I mean, the price of comics is ridiculous now, you know, but, but a manga is going to cost you, you know, nine bucks or less. And, you, you know, you might have as much as, you know, 250, 300 pages to read. I mean, that's, uh, that, that's a value right there. And the, it's, it's just more interesting and it's more aimed at entertaining you. It is pure escapist entertainment. Oh gosh. Whatever happened to that in comics, huh? Whatever happened to that anywhere? I mean, you watch stuff streaming and you're being preached to half the time. Yeah. So, how, in the in the back in the day when you started, you you would you write first or would you receive the f- pictures first or how did that work in the comic book industry? Yeah, everybody asks that question. <laughs> it, it, it starts with the, yeah. it starts with the story. It starts with me. Okay. Uh, and I write I write something that looks very much like a screenplay and it, it describes each panel and the dialogue within. And then, and then it's given to the artist, and that's where the collaboration begins. Because artists will make changes, and I'm fine with the changes as long as it all looks good in the end. And um, you know, and I work with you know extraordinarily talented people, so I'm I feel fine, you know, letting them fly with the script. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you know, and then it, then it goes into you know coloring and lettering and all the rest. What about the lettering? Do you have any say about that, or how does that work? No, it's just, they just, you know, uh, as long as the letterer is good, and that's a talent in and of itself, uh, the placement of the balloons and things like that. So the story flows, because the whole point of the art and the lettering is to draw your eye down that page, to make you look where we want you to look. Right. So, and, and that's the job of the artist and the letterer, to make all of that extremely clear, and clarity is very important in comic book storytelling. Is some of that actually freehanded? The lettering? Yeah. No, no, it's all oh, okay. done by computer now. Okay, but it's all I was done, it, it, It's all done from, it, it, they've created fonts from hand lettering. I see. Of, of lettering masters from the past. I mean, sure. You can letter a comic and it'll look just like it was done by John Costanza or Ben Oda in the 70s. And now, is it still the same? Or, I mean, when you're working in comics or, I mean, not having to do everything yourself, is that the way it still works? Uh, I'm not sure what you mean. Well, I mean, in terms of the job now, that's exactly what's going on now. You you write the story, you hand yeah. it over to the artist. Okay, is it? Yeah. And, and and you're still writing full time, correct? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I write. I write. It, it, somewhere back in the 2000s, I wasn't getting enough comic work, so I began writing prose. 
I've, so I've written over 30 novels, but I'm not a novelist. I'm a comic book writer. <laughs> so, but the novels have done okay, so I kept doing it. So is it, is it much easier to plot a novel than it is a comic book? It's different. It, it, comics are in my DNA. I really had to work to learn how to write prose. Uh, it's, it's a big difference. But I enjoy both mediums for different reasons. What's Comic Gate? Comicsgate is like a pejorative toward conservative comic creators. Um, you know, the left always has to put gate at the end of something they don't like. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so uh, I don't quite understand what Comicsgate is. Some some creators have embraced the term. Uh, I always say I, I'm the Jesus of Comicsgate because I was the first. I mean, I was kicked out of comics in the early 2000s by the majors. So I was the first one to step into the light and now they're all catching up with me, you know? Uh, but it's, it's mostly a pejorative. It's mostly an insult. And they say, you know, you're all haters and everything else. And there's nothing evident in the work we're doing that we hate anybody. Right. <laughs> so, and now, I mean, you're just free and easy at this point in time, but if Marvel came back to you tomorrow, or maybe they already have, I don't know. And said, okay, Chuck, we want you to, take on this project and you can do it freelance you jump at it right no no they'd have to they'd have to back a truckload of money up to the house and make some really insane guarantees for me to go back to work for either dc or marvel because i'm doing fine on my own and i'm i'm like you said free and easy i i write what i want to write i don't need permission from anybody to write because pretty soon they'd tell you to interject woke um tropes in there i suppose without a doubt absolutely without a doubt i mean it seems to me like uh, for example i happen to be a real housewives fan because uh, don't hold that against me and um so i watch a lot of bravo television and it's gotten to the point where every single show and you could see this transition over time every single show must have a gay or lesbian person in it and someone who's I, you know, kind of toying with the idea of becoming trans. And it's just, come on, you know, this is so incredibly formulaic. Can we just get away from it and just let people be people? And if something like that happens, great, but don't force the issue. But it's definitely something that they've attempted to push through all of their franchises. And it's, you know, it's enough to, it's enough to be a turnoff. Like, you know, this isn't real. You're not really housewives and you're not real people. <laughs> Yeah, well, my biggest complaint is when they inject uh, gay, lesbian, or trans people into fiction, they don't make any effort to make them interesting or engaging. They're, they are strictly there as tokens. And I'm like, this is demeaning to everybody. It's especially demeaning to the people that you say that you're sympathetic toward. And I notice a disturbing trend that a lot of times they'll, they'll introduce a gay male or a lesbian female character and... They're predatory. They're like disturbing psychopaths. And it's like, what are you trying to say here? You know, uh, either that or they're just ciphers. You know, they they, they serve no purpose in the story other than to be there to say, I'm gay or I'm trans or or whatever. Yeah. When were you red-pilled? Oh, I'll tell you. Uh, at 10 years old, I was putting out yard signs for Barry Goldwater. Ah, hey, so was so, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, but where did she go wrong? Yeah. Uh, so, 
yeah, I, uh, yeah, I've never been anything. I used to wear a, a button to school, you know, when everybody's wearing buttons, band the bomb, things like that. Uh-huh. I wore, uh, I am a right wing extremist. <laughs> what? So I'm, I'm baked in conservative from get go. Really? And yeah. so when did, and, and, and at what point in time did that cease to be something that was acceptable in comics? Again, uh, uh, I mean, you say that there are no politics in the comics, and yet at some point in time, you said you walked away and you came into the light. So what was that moment like? Well, I mean, the, the, the last time I was able to work for a liberal and we got along was nine, 1998. Uh, my Batman editor retired, and that was the end of that. And he was a, the most famously bleeding heart liberal comic creator in comics. And I worked for this guy for 11 years, and we got along great. We even did some like issues-oriented comic stories that we found common ground on. I mean, I considered him a friend. Everything was great. I, I mentioned Eclipse Comics earlier where I worked on Airboy. They were self-avowed communists, and we got <laughs> along fine. We got along fine. You know, they didn't tell me what to write, and you know, total creative freedom there and everything else. Uh, it's not until you get to uh, like the year 2000 when the indifferent editors show up and the only thing they've got going for them is they're in they're in lockstep with the leftists who are in management. And the, and from there, it's just downhill. The human embodiment of the tokens about which you, you know, people have written in the comic books. Yeah. And I mean, once I mean, I'm just a guy that never I say what's on my mind, you know, and I, I we, we would get into arguments, but then went back to work, you know, and forgot about it. You know, or we went to lunch. Uh, I, I remember when a young editor who had just been hired, we were at a lunch, it was about a dozen of us at a lunch from DC Comics, and uh, he said, he just announced out of the blue that he thought that Ronald Reagan was the only great president he would ever see in his lifetime. And if, if you had thrown a flashbang grenade in the middle of the table, he <laughs> wouldn't have been more shocked. Wow. <laughs> But then we all went back to work and it was, everything was fine. Uh-huh. But uh, but I, you know, uh, we, but we, wrote, we reached that tipping point and all, I would say stuff or, or post something on the Internet and it would be instantly held against me. And I would be like court, called into the uh, star chamber to, to stand by what I had said, which and I did 100 percent of the time. It's, I'm not going to apologize for what I said. It's what I believe. And and my beliefs aren't apparent in my work. So what difference does it make? Apparently made some difference. Uh, yes. Yeah. Cause I was, I was blacklisted as, as one Marvel editor famously said, Chuck's not blacklisted. He just can't work here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So it's an opposite blacklisting as usual. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You've it's seen it a- through, throughout Hollywood. Oh yeah, people just vanish through a trapdoor. We never see them again. Mm-hmm. And except, except except Mel Gibson, he climbs up out of that trapdoor. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. What if you? Um, well, you're writing for yourself now, and you're doing your own thing and selling your own stuff now. Thank God. But um, what happens when you go to Comic Con? I mean, people just adulation rolls in, or um, how does that work for you as a, in a as, as an independent as you've been all these years? Well, because I'm not at DC and Marvel, a lot of fans aren't aware that I I'm still working. 
so I go to a con and they'll be like, where have you been? It's like, I've been working. You know, I've been making good money. It's just not with this audience anymore. Uh, you know, I've, I've shifted to another audience uh, and a more high, highly profitable one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it, it, any comic creator will tell you that they can be in comics for years and no one will pay attention to them until they're on an iconic character. Um, I mean, I, I know a guy, he, he made his name doing Superman, but until he did Superman, even his family thought that he didn't have a real job. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're not working on those key characters, it's like you're not working. Can, is there a breakout character at all that you've helped create that still exists? Or uh, I, mean, I, I created the Batman villain Bane. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Uh, I co-created him with Graham Nolan, and he still exists. He's still there's there's two shelves behind me filled with Bane action figures and statues. That's so. awesome. <laughs> He's, he's always around. I hope you got a piece of that. Did you get a piece yeah, of that? Yeah, we did. Uh, DC was pretty generous. Um, you know, they allowed us to sign these participation agreements, which gave us a literal percentage in anything the character made. Wow. Uh, the only problem was is when Warner's renegotiated net profits, which oh. you never want to hear those words. Oh, so, no. So the level the level of money we make from TV and movies off of stuff, and, I, and I've got participation agreements on like 250 characters. Wow. Uh, the, the level of money we make isn't what it used to be, although direct DC licensing, man, if, if your character makes it into to being a Lego set, yeah, that's good money. <laughs> this is astonishing. I mean, this is a different world. I'm not used yeah. to this. It's, but it really is just, it's, I'm despairing of the fact that it is cancelable. Yeah, well, eminently cancelable, cancelable, because, you know, whereas comics used to be a a big part of mainstream pop culture, we're now a a boutique market. We can, you know, someone could roll over in their sleep and crush the comic book industry. That's amazing. And they did it to themselves, didn't they? They put a gun to their own heads. They just, they, they wouldn't see what was coming. I mean, the, that train was coming into the station and they just wouldn't see it or hear it. Do you think it, they ever will? No, not this crowd. They're going to kill it. They're just going to allow gonna, it to die. Because yeah, they got the gonna, movies, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's got to be burnt to the ground and, and come back up again. Because kids like comics. I mean, manga's proof of it. Kids like comics. Mm-hmm. Stan, Stan Lee once said... I don't care what a room full of kids are doing. You bring in a stack of comics and set it down. They're going to stop what they're doing and at least look at them. Yes. You know, because it's an immediate experience. It's a draw. They're colorful. They're crazy. You know, uh, you know, they can be a lot of fun when (laughs) when the politics are left out of them. So So they're they're always going to be around. It's always always going to be somebody doing comics. I I hate to ask a dumb question, but have you ever thought about creating your own imprimatur and having other people work on tandem with you on other things yeah i'm not i'm not much into management i just like sitting here making stuff up um you know i've had offers to do that i mean when denny o'neill the prior batman editor was going to retire he asked me if i wanted to be group editor they offered it to me the job was mine i could have been the batman editor and i I said uh, i couldn't take the pay cut yeah. So, <laughs> Let me, one couple more nuts and bolts things here, if sure. you don't mind. Sure. What's more important, character or plot? Plot. If plot is important. I didn't think you were going to say that. No, char- 
writers that go characters more important are lazy writers because plotting is hard. Uh huh. Characters come easy to me. It's not hard to create an appealing character. There's some mechanics to it to make the, the, the reader relate. And then, but you gotta have something for them to do. I mean, I before I got into comics, I, I worked a little while in children's books. Uh huh. Children. Children are the toughest audience in the world because they don't care about your clever dialogue or anything else or your wordsmithing. They just want to know what's going to happen next. And something damn well better happen next. And, <laughs> and so I kind of learned there. You know, it was, a, it was a hard school, but I brought that with me to comics. You know, don't never bore people. You know, something's got to be happening and you got to have a. Now, you get, character's important, but you got to have a proper mix. And everything about that character has to move the story along. So, oh, that's to me, that's shocking. You say you hate on-the-money writing. Can you explain that? Uh, when, when someone goes, I feel so sad because, no, 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 you don't. You, no, you don't, they don't. Nobody <laughs> talks so, because nobody does that. You know, and nobody right. does that in real life. I mean, it's like, like, have you ever in your life heard someone say, not on my watch? You know, maybe ironically, but yeah. nobody ever said. And, and you turn on the TV, and, and every single show somebody says that. No, not on my watch. It's like, <laughs> no, no. So, so that's like so on the money. You know, uh, it's not the way people talk. It's not, we can't relate to it. It, 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 it. Never have a character address the plot. Never have a character say, "Hey, we're going to do this." No, just show them doing it. Yes, I see. my favorite example is 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 um, a few good men. Uh, in which it's a, I hate that movie. And and one of the key reasons I hate it is in the third act, Tom Cruise tells his team of lawyers what they're going to do. And then he does it. Uh. <laughs> it's like, it's like, no, <laughs> that's not, a, that's not how you do this. Uh-huh. Do you like, do you admire any, for example, television writers? Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Uh, Vince Gilligan on uh, Breaking Bad. Oh. And, um, uh, um, I'm blanking on the names. Uh, George Pelicanos and I forget the other guy's name on the wire. Oh, Michael Connolly. Oh, he's the author of the books, I think. But uh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. I love then, that show. Uh, and then we talked about character and plot. Uh, Monk is a great example of how to mix character and plot seamlessly. I've got to go back and watch that show. I don't think I, mean, I ever watched it. It's so character driven, and yet the plots are ingenious. I mean, it's a it's a who done it every week. And they're really cleverly constructed, so they don't. They, it's a great character-driven show where they don't forget to have a story. That's wonderful. And you do? Are you inspired by stuff stuff like that so that you can help plot your stories? By yeah, it just sort of shows me that you know that kind of writing is appreciated. So uh, I, I, I got to work hard to you know try to reach that bar. Uh, last question: What can you not put in comics anymore? Um, as far as subject, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, can't think of anything. <laughs> I can't think of anything you can't put in. Spoken like a free man. Yeah. No, no. I mean, you know, yeah, there's no restrictions. And you, people will buy whatever it is that you're selling. Yeah. If you, if you, if you got the brand name and you know, they, they know that you're not going to let them down. How are you going to, how are you going to keep this going for the next generation to come up and uh, what are you going to leave them? Uh, well, a, a, 
big old backlog of comics to read. Uh, my stuff's always in print. If you if you go on Amazon, type in my name, there's page after page after page mm. of stuff that I've worked on. It's continuously in publication. So, um, you know, there's that. You know, there's that legacy. That's true. I mean, I just inspiring mentoring, anything like that? Uh, I know you already no, inspire like, people, but mentoring people? Yeah. No, I don't like to encourage competition. <laughs> That's hilarious. You are a curmudgeon. <laughs> yeah, I've reached that age. I have reached. Really? I've been in a business that's been abusive, too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. One of our greatest creators, Jack Kirby, always said, comics will break your heart. <laughs> Sad. But yes. I, I get it. I mean, I get it. Yeah. It's like having a very odd sense of humor. I've been in the news business for years and years and years, and it's the third only to police humor and nurse humor in terms of darkness. Just very... And I feel like that might be sort of the same idea about comic book writers, that uh, you are on your own, you're in a silo, and get out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've, I've spent some time in a TV newsroom, so I know what you're no, talking about. Oh, God. <laughs> it's bitter. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, good God. Well, anyway. <laughs> Chuck Dixon, it's been a sheer delight to talk with you. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. And uh, there was some great questions and I enjoyed the conversation. Well, I appreciate that. I like that little throwing me a bone that I asked a couple of good ones in there. Besides, Well, the, sometimes it's better to hear from someone who doesn't know anything. I think so, too. You know, I do. Than someone who's so inside, they're asking questions that only they care about. So when Bane was on the cliff and he was about to fall, what is it that you had him thinking? In issue 315. Yeah, in issue 315. <laughs> and wait, I do have one more question. What one of your comic books is now the most collectible? Uh, it's probably Vengeance of Bane number one, the very Ooh. first appearance of Bane. Oh, okay. What does that go for, do you think? Uh, What's eBay selling it for, or whomever? eBay, reliably, it's like $250, $200. I mean... I, I don't have any that are worth a lot, of, a huge amount of money because at the height of my career, um, I was selling in the millions. So there's a lot of copies out there. Gotcha. They're not necessarily rare. Yeah, gotcha. Um, and you must have quite a collection yourself. What, yes. What's your rarest one? <laughs> um, I have some, I, I got a lot of old Western and war comics from the 40s and 50s. That's the bulk of my collection. People like to read about stuff like that. They really yeah. do. Look yeah. at the TV shows now. Yep. Yep. We're getting back to that. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Chuck Dixon, thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. To keep the programs you like to listen to, please rate this podcast with a fantastic five stars on your Apple podcast app every time you listen and give me a great review plus of course subscribe to the podcast it makes a difference with the big tech algorithm and the big tech oligarchs and it makes us easier to find please get in touch with me on all the big tech stuff yeah we're still there using the names victoria taft or the adult in the room podcast on MeWe, parlor minds facebook twitter and instagram thanks to one a cast for imaging editing and production the fantastic song is Gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for Antifa versus Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by Raps by RC. 
The Adult in the Room podcast is also a production of Flamingo Road Studios. Remember, head up, heart out, and strive to be the adult in the room. Till next time, mischief managed. Yeah.